Good morning. morning. How's everybody doing today? All right. It's good to see you here at first service on Sunday morning. Really excited to get into God's Word. Um, We're in a series, and this is the the final uh, message in this series about generosity, a season of generosity. And so this morning, I want to begin with our key scripture, and I want to work forward from there. It's, It's Isaiah chapter 32. Verse number 8, if you would go ahead and throw that up on the screen, Isaiah 32, verse 8. I want you to look at that verse with me. We just saw it in our intro, but I want you to look at those words. But a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. Now, I want to ask you to do something with me. I want to ask you to slowly read that verse with me. I'll kind of orchestrate things up here and we'll read it together, okay? But I want us to read those words and speak those words right out loud because I want us to understand today in the beginning of this message what God's Word is saying to us about generosity. Now, here we go. Everybody, let's read this verse together. But a generous man devises generous things. And by generosity, he shall stand. When you look at the original writings of this verse, it says, but a generous man, or the King James says, a liberal man, a man who is willing, a man who is open-hearted, an open-hearted man who is willing to give devises or creates willing things. In other words, a man with a generous heart will express it through his actions. But then it goes on to say in the second part of that verse, and by generosity, by his willingness, he shall stand. The original writings literally says he shall rise. He shall rise. So a generous man will create generous things. And by The things that he creates, he will rise. Now, in this series the last few weeks, let me just quickly walk through what we've talked about already. In the first week, we talked about the basis or the foundation for generosity. And that's the fact that God is a good God and God is a generous God. How many of you found in your own lives that God is good and God is generous? How many know that for a fact? His word declares that we've learned it from our experience. Psalms 35, 27 says that God has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Now, in a lot of the church world today, we struggle with that word prosperity because we don't understand the scriptural meaning of it. Here's what it literally means. Three different definitions from scripture, Old Testament and new. First of all, prosperity means to be safe in mind, in body, and in my estate it means to be completed prosperity also means it speaks of my welfare our welfare our well-being in essence it speaks of our health our prosperity and our peace in the new testament we started with this a few weeks ago third john verse 2 john prayed this prayer he said beloved i wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. That word prosper there literally means that you will find help on the road of life for every situation. So in every situation of life, God cares 
God's concerned and God wants to be involved. And then last week, in our second week of the series, we talked about the stewardship of generosity. The fact that when God blesses us and pours his generosity into our lives, he expects us to be good managers of what he's put in our hands. We talked last week about understanding the purpose of work. We talked about our attitude towards work because my attitude creates my actions or my work ethic. We talked about those things. We also talked about the reward for our work. How many of you enjoy payday? Everybody laughs and three people raise their hands. All right, something's wrong here. Okay, how many of you enjoy payday? Okay, that's the reward for your work. Some of you say, well, he's going somewhere. That's a trick question. No, it's not. I like payday. And then finally, uh, you know, Luke 12, 48, Jesus says, for to everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. It's talking about the fact that God holds us accountable for managing his generosity. Now, today, I want to talk about the cycle of generosity. The cycle of generosity. If you study it in Scripture, generosity, the God generosity, works in a cycle. And I want to walk through this today. God is a good God. He's a generous God. And God wants to develop his goodness and his generosity in me. In other words, and a lot of people don't get this sometimes, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives to do what? To create God's nature in us. The fruit of the Spirit is the nature of God that God's trying to create in us. And one of the things that God's trying to do is he's trying to create his goodness and his generosity in me. And sometimes, in some areas of my life, God's got a lot of work to do. But he's working. He's working in me to create his nature and his generosity. So this morning, let me begin with, number one, giving you a simple picture of generosity. One of the things that I've referred to in this series, and I refer to it a lot in my teaching, is a lot of Old Testament words are picture words. The word in the original writings paints a picture or it refers to a picture. When you look at scriptural generosity, I think there's a great picture painted in 1 Kings 10, 13. I don't ask you to read to turn there, but I want to read it to you and I want to talk about it for a minute. Scripture says that there was never a king wiser than Solomon. There was never a king who was greater than Solomon. In all that he had, all that he possessed, all of his wealth, all of his wisdom, there was never a king who ever lived greater than Solomon. And it tells the story about Solomon. I want to read this one verse to you. 1 Kings 10, 13. There was a woman, a queen, who came from Sheba, the queen of Sheba, she's referred to in Scripture, who came to visit Solomon because she heard about his greatness, his prosperity, his wisdom, and she wanted to meet him firsthand and see if it was all true. And 1 Kings 10, 13 says this. Now, King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked. Besides, 
besides what Solomon had given her already according to the royal generosity. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. Now, let me walk you through this first. I didn't put it on the screen because I, I didn't want to take the time out of the service to have you turn there. But, but notice this. The queen of Sheba comes to inquire if all that she's heard about Solomon is true because his reputation spread through all the earth. This man is a great man. He's prosperous. He's blessed. He's so wise. His nation is amazing. So she comes to check it out, and Scripture says two things happen. Number one, he gave her what Scripture calls the royal generosity. Royal generosity, which simply means... Everything that you would expect a king to do in hospitality and generosity towards a visitor, Solomon did all of that. But it also says he went beyond that. And any question she asked, anything she asked about wisdom, anything she asked about his wealth and his land, he also gave her information and gave her everything that she requested of him. Now, let, let, me, let me tell you a story about this. There's a story about several hundred years ago, there was a ruler in a particular land. His name doesn't matter right now. But he was traveling through the countryside, and as he traveled along, he was on horseback. His whole entourage was riding on horseback. As they rode along, a beggar ran out into the road and said, Please, sir, give me some money. And he stopped the whole entourage. He called to his treasurer and said, give him a very generous offering. And he told him how much to give him. That beggar was so shocked and surprised at his generosity. He grabbed it and ran away so excited. And the treasurer turned to this ruler and said, you know, I don't understand why you gave him so much. For a beggar like that, a small amount would have been and the ruler turned to the treasurer and says that small amount might have been fine for that beggar but that small amount does not befit my generosity now think about this i'm not giving what that person might deserve i'm giving what generosity demands me to give now here's why i share this in this scripture, it says that Solomon gave her everything according to the royal generosity. That word generosity means this, an open hand. If you look right here, I want you to see it. Generosity here means this. You've heard Zach talk about it. I've talked about it in other messages. I think one of the things that God wants to teach us to do is to live life with an open hand. An open hand begins with an open heart. As a matter of fact, let me go one step further. My hand expresses what's going on in my heart. We cannot disconnect the two. See, some of us want to run our hands from only our heads when God asks us to let our hands be an expression of our hearts. If I have a closed heart, I'll have a closed hand. So generosity paints this picture and says, 
Here's how I live. Just like this. Now, number two, I want to go back to something, and I'm, I'm going to get to the scriptures here in a few minutes. But in the first two weeks, I wanted to get into this, but I needed to save it for today. Let me ask you a question. What went wrong in the Garden of Eden? You said, well, man sinned. Okay, man sinned. I'm not going to take the time to go back and read all the verses, but let, let's, let's come back to what happened real quickly and let's simplify what happened in the garden. God created Adam, then he created Eve, and then he put them in this garden where everything you could ever want was right there. I mean, there was, there was a, a, a gentle creek or water that flowed through the garden. There was river that was there. Scripture says that climate was perfect. I mean, everything was beautiful. God said, I put every tree in the garden that is beautiful to look at and every tree that is good for fruit. And God says, you can eat of any of these trees, including the tree of life in the center of the garden. But God said, there's one tree I don't want you to eat of. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we don't know how long Adam and Eve lived in this utopia. We don't know how long they were in the garden before things went wrong. But what went wrong? You see, the day came when God pushed him out of the garden and he put angels there to keep man out of the garden and away from the tree of life. Why? What went wrong? wrong basically here's what happened the serpent satan comes along and says did god really say you couldn't eat of that tree now you can eat of that tree if you want to it's okay to eat of the fruit won't hurt you you see god says in the day you eat of that tree you will surely die is that really what he said is that what he meant satan says no God doesn't want you to eat of that tree because when you eat of that tree, you will be like him. So Adam and Eve partook of the tree. What happened to the Garden of Eden? Here's what happened. Man rebelled against God. And Adam and Eve said, we don't need God to rule our lives. We don't need God's commandments. We don't need God to give us rules and regulations and instructions. We will eat of this tree and we ourselves will be God's and we will rule our own lives. And they ate of the tree and judgment fell. Now everybody knows the story, but let me tell you today why this is so very important. Adam and Eve rejected God's laws and said, we will be rulers over our own lives. We don't need God to be our Lord. It's important because from the Garden of Eden on, mankind has been locked in this struggle of trying to figure out how to know God, how to obtain everlasting life, but how to rule as much of our lives as we possibly can. That's our struggle. That's our struggle. And you know, in context of this message, let me, let me come back to something. Why do we struggle so much with the idea of prosperity? Why do so many Christians struggle so much with the idea of generosity? Well, I know some of it's our 
human nature. But do you know where our human nature comes from? It comes from our fallen nature, the rebellion of Adam and Eve. Why do so many of us struggle with the idea of giving? Let me give you a couple thoughts. First of all, part of it's control. It's control. It's a control issue. I don't want to give God control of everything. I've already given him my heart. I've already given him eternity. I'm trying to live a life that pleases him. This is one area of my life I want to control for myself. You see, scriptural prosperity, generosity, giving, all of those things tie our finances to God. And we don't want God to control that. We want to control it ourselves. That's good. You know how I know it's good? Because it's quiet in here right now. I think a second reason we struggle, it's a trust issue. It's a faith issue. We don't want to believe God. We don't want to trust God. We want to do it our way and get what we want out of it when we fail to realize, just like everything else in life, if we trust God with it, God's blessings will be upon it. So it's a faith issue. See, it's hard to give when you don't see the end result immediately. It's hard to give when you don't know how long it takes God to respond to your giving. It's hard to give, listen closely, when many of us see giving as a subtraction rather than an investment in our future. So we struggle. And here's what happens. A lot of us go through life trying to please God, trying to walk with God. We want God involved everywhere, but when it comes to money and finances, we're going to do it our own way. And when it comes to money, instead of eating from the tree of life, we run to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we rebel against God and say, I'll do it myself my own way. It's always been a problem for man, always. Now, number three, how do we activate generosity for those of you who haven't been here the last two weeks the reason i'm doing this three-week series is because god spoke to me so clearly right at the first of the year and said you're about to head into a season of generosity so i went to scripture to see what generosity means from scripture and that's why i'm teaching this series I want us to learn how to understand God's generosity. And then I want us to understand that God's called us to manage it and to steward it. And then number three, I want us all to learn how to live in God's generosity. So let's talk about activating generosity. I told you at the beginning of this message, I'm talking today about the cycle of generosity. Proverbs 3, I closed last week's message talking about this. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, the Lord says this. Now, here's the promise of God's generosity. How many of you want to hear God's promise for your life? You want to hear the promise of God? Here it is. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, somebody says, well, I don't have any barns and I'm not doing anything with wine. Okay, take it metaphorically. How many of you want your metaphorical barns to be filled? And how many of you want your work to be continually blessed by God? You want that? Okay, let's go to another promise. 
The Lord says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. How many of you want the windows of heaven to be opened over your life? I like that promise. I like that idea. I want God to bring heaven to earth in my life. How about this one? Here's one from the New Testament. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. How many of you would like to see all of your needs supplied? Would you like that? I like those promises. I like those. I mean, the promise of increase, the promise of the windows of heaven being open and all my needs being supplied and me having a surplus to be a blessing. I like all of that. But here's what we oftentimes miss. Almost every time in God's word when there is a promise, there's always a principle attached to it. And see, one of the things that's happening in the church world today, the Christian church world, is we are so strong in a message of grace that many of us have erased the responsibility that goes along with God's grace. We want the promises, but we don't want the principles. To draw a crowd, we will teach the promises, but we won't teach the principles. Let me tell you something. If you don't understand the principle, the promise is never fulfilled. God says, honor me. Honor me with the first. Then I will bless you. He said, bring the tithe into the storehouse. Then I will open the windows of heaven. He went so far as to say, try me. Try me and see. God will supply all of our need. But if you go back and look at it in context, he ties it to people's giving, to people's needs. God ties his generosity to our generosity. Some of us struggle with that. So look at Proverbs 11. I'm going to walk you through some verses just for a few minutes. For those of you who are really itchy and don't like this, hang on, we'll be finished here in a few minutes. Proverbs 11, verse 24. Smile, I'm just kidding, okay? Proverbs 11, verse 24. Here's the wisdom of generosity. If the most prosperous man on earth was here today and he was going to give you some instructions of how to be generous, how many of you would listen? One, two, three. See, that's our problem. We don't, listen to, we don't listen to wisdom. Solomon. Here's what he says. Proverbs eleven twenty four. There is one who scatters. Scatters speaks of seed. You see, most of the Bible is written in the context of an agricultural society. Yes, there were cities. There was trade. But for the most part, people lived off the land, the crops, the, the livestock that they raised. Here's what he says. There's one who scatters, but what happens? He increases more. Does that go against anybody's thinking? See, I said it earlier. Many of us see giving as a subtraction when we fail to understand that giving is putting seed in the ground for multiplication. It's sowing into our future. It's not about subtraction. It's a faith principle of multiplication there is one who scatters and yet he increases more 
Then there is one who withholds more than what is right, but it leads to poverty, literally deficiency. So here's this wisdom for generosity. I need to learn to live my life like this. I'm getting some bobbleheads out there. God's starting to work. I need to learn to live my life like this. Because this closes the windows of heaven. Well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, that's what God says. If you don't believe me, believe him. This brings about blessing. This brings about deficiency. That's what scripture says. Now, look at the next verse. The generous. Now, I don't, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I know you're all generous, okay? So let's, this, this is talking about us. The generous soul will be made rich. The generous soul, remember what I said? If you're generous in here, you're going to be generous out here. If you're locked up in here, you're going to be locked up out here. The generous soul shall be made rich, shall be blessed. And he who waters will also be watered. Now let me show you something interesting. Leave this verse up here. The second half of the verse. He who waters, it's talking about one who would quench another person's thirst. If you're willing to help minister to someone's thirst and be generous with your water, it says you will be watered. But the second expression of water doesn't mean you'll have your thirst quenched. It means there will be a flow of water like rain or a river. So if I'm willing to do this, God is willing to do this. Who do you think has more in their hands? Does it have you thinking with me this morning? So it's not my promise, it's the promise of God. This is the wisdom of God. Generosity is an act. Generosity is an act. If you're generous here, you'll be generous here. If you're not generous here, you won't be generous here. And we can say, well, I'm generous, I'm generous, I'm generous, I'm generous. But what do your hands say? Am I generous? Proverbs 22, 9 says this. He who has a generous eye will be blessed. For he gives his bread to the poor. A generous heart looks for opportunities to express itself. Do you look for opportunities to express generosity? We'll say, well, why? Because every time I do this, God does this. This is so good, I may teach this second service. I may do this a good next week. It's good. Now, go to 2 Corinthians 9. I have to really go fast, so I'm going to do it. How many of you know I can go really fast? 2 Corinthians 9. Generosity is a cycle or a process. 
I'm going to show you from Scripture. 2 Corinthians 9, one of the best passages of Scripture in the Bible about open-handedness and giving that you'll ever find. Several verses. I'm going to walk through them real quickly. Verse 5, 2 Corinthians 9, 5. Paul says, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go ahead to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Now, now pause here a moment. If you tie 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 together, in chapter 8, he's talking about this need. And the Corinthians had promised, we're going to help another church where there's so much poverty in that church in a different country. They're needing help there. The economy is bad. They're in a drought season. We're going to bless these people. So Paul says, I'm coming to you in a few days. And remember that promise you made about helping this other church? Even though you're not real wealthy, you've promised to be generous. So I'm coming to collect that gift. And here's what he's saying. And I want you to think about it in advance because I want you to have the correct attitude in giving. What does my attitude need to be in giving? Well, look at the last part of that verse. That it may be, re may be ready as a matter of generosity, starting here and coming here, rather than, well, I don't want to, but I guess I have to do something. Don't you hate it when you get bad service in a restaurant and they bring you the bill and it has a line on there to sign for the tip? Am I going to be generous or not? You see, God is looking at our hearts and every time we see an opportunity, God isn't judging our hearts. He's judging what comes from our hands. Because it's the same thing. We say, oh, in my heart, I would, but... No, 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 no. What did you do? What did you do? Now, let's go ahead. Verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly, that word sparingly means stingily, to be stingy. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, I don't want to belabor the point. Many of us have never planted seed in the ground and raised anything from scratch because for most of us, we don't live in that economy. But we understand the principle. If you plant one seed of corn, how many corn stalks are you going to get? It's not a trick question. If you plant one seed of corn, how many corn stalks are you going to get? You're going to get one. If you plant five seeds of corn, how many corn stalks are you going to get? Five. And there will be several ears on each stalk. And several seeds on each head of corn. Okay? This is the analogy Paul's giving us. And he says, if you sow a couple of seeds, you're going to reap, reap a couple of stalks. If you sow a lot of seed, you're going to reap a lot of stalks. Now, there's always a connection between my sowing and my reaping. Some of us don't want to acknowledge that. We don't want to admit that. But it's Scripture, friend. You see it from cover to cover in God's Word. There's a connection between my sowing and my reaping. Most of us look at our reaping and we say, well, I only reap this much, or am I going to sow this much? It's the other way around. As we sow, so we reap. Now, let, look at the next verse, verse 7. 
So let each one give, how? As he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. That word necessity means you got your arm bent. How many of you know we have already received the offering this morning? Did those who are running for the doors fail to miss the point? We've already received the offering this morning. Nobody is twisting your arm. Zach made it clear. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful, which means a prompt, a willing, a hilarious giver. When you understand the generosity of God, it's easy to give with a cheerful heart. Because my giving is my seed that God's going to bring back into my life in the future. So many people say, well, I just don't feel like I need to give. God will never make you give. God's not going to make you give. He doesn't. But your giving will determine your harvest. Now, look at the next verse, verse 8. I love this verse. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. God is able to do what? To make all grace abound towards you. How many of you would like to have all of God's grace at work in your life? Not just a taste here and there, all of it. I want all of it. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you, when? Always. Everybody say always. Always Always having what? All sufficiency in what? All things may have an abundance for every good work. Now, what does this say? This says that God is so generous that he is able to make all grace work in our lives so we have everything we need and we can turn around and be a blessing to other people. But what's the key to it? Open-handedness. See, this is the law of grace. The law of grace. You know, this, this whole law of giving, this, these rules and regulations about giving, I hate it. That's because you don't understand. Go back to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. It's grace. It's not law. When it becomes grace to you, you see God's blessing. As long as it's law, you're always stuck in what do I have to do. You don't have to do anything. But it's sowing and reaping. Now, look at the next verse. Verse 10. Here's where people tend to miss it. Now may he, God, now may God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Stop right there. When I receive a paycheck, I have two things. It's the reward of my work. We taught it last week. I have two things. I have seed for sowing. Why? Old Testament, New Testament. The first part belongs to God. The first part belongs to God. Zach talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is a habit in my life. When I get my paycheck, the first thing I do is give back to God first. See, when Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, he's talking about food, clothing, and shelter. The Jews understood that because of the Old Testament. What comes first? You give to God first. You honor God first. You're generous with God first. Why? Because he's been generous with me. So what does it say? May he who supplies seed to the sower. If we understand our paycheck and our finances from this perspective, 
that God comes first and the first thing I do with my income is I sow it as God has asked me to do. If I do that, it begins to change the way I see money. Let me move on. He gives seed to the sower. Second of all, he gives bread for food. He gives bread for food. See, some of us are eating our seed. We're living in such a way that we eat our seed and then we grumble and complain that God's not good. God's good. We just don't want to be an expression of his goodness. Now, let's go a little further. What does he do next? He supplies and multiplies what? The seed you've sown. See, we're, we're, we're getting our paycheck and we're saying, God, multiply my bread, multiply my paycheck, make my paycheck bigger. And God is saying, sow seed. I can't sow seed, God. And God says, I can't bless something that's not in the ground. There's a whole sermon right there. He, he will multiply. He doesn't multiply your bread. He multiplies the seed. And he increases the fruits of your righteousness. What you do in honoring him, God multiplies it and grows it. In verse 11, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. You are enriched in everything. 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 Enriched in everything. Did you know God wants you to believe that he wants to enrich you in everything? Now, I'm almost finished. I need, I need, uh, I need two men to help me. Two volunteers, real quick. Two men who aren't afraid to be seen. Here comes one. Here comes two. I got them right here. Great. You guys hop up and sit right there on the stage. Just, yeah, just turn around. Yeah, hop up. Just sit right there and face them. There you go. Now, this is not a reflection on anybody, but let me just do this real quickly. This man is trying to figure this thing out. And he's living like this. So get your hands out there. Help me illustrate. No, hold, hold them like that. Clench those fists. Hold them tight. There you go. Now, you open your hands. God is saying, I want to bless the earth. So I need to pour my blessing so it'll be a blessing. Where is God going to pour his blessing? Hello? Again, it's not a trick question. How many of you think God's going to pour his blessing here? Clap your hands. I'm so glad you did that <laughs> because that's the problem in a lot of people's hearts right there. Oh, I'm believing God's, I'm believing God's going to bless me. We can't even open our hands to clap. Oh, I believe God's going to bless me. How many of you believe God's going to pour his blessing right here? God, I don't understand why you're blessing those guys. You're not blessing me. Check out your stewardship. And check out your hands. Thanks, guys. In closing, if we honor God first, and I know there's somebody here, yeah, you preachers are all alike. 
just trying to get the widow's last five dollars. <laughs> Elijah got the widow's last five dollars and God took care of her until the drought was over, just so you know. Best thing that ever happened to the widow was Elijah coming to town asking for her last five dollars, just so you know. But let me, let me finish this. Why do we give? Why do we give to God's work? Four things. Number one, to honor God. Number two, to declare that God is my source. Number three, to break the grip of selfishness. Number four, to be a blessing to others. And I go back to what we open with, Isaiah 32, 8, but a generous man devises generous things. And by his generosity, he will rise. Bow your heads this morning. Father, I pray one prayer at this point in time in our service for everybody in this room. Open up our hearts to understand your word. God, if it's religion that's closed us off, if it's human experience, if it's selfishness, if it's negativity, if it's wrong attitudes, God, change my thinking. Change my thinking, Father. Adjust my thinking. Create in me a generous heart so I can express it with open hands. God, don't let me laugh at the Word of God. Father, your word declares that you are not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. Don't let us mock this message and walk away as if it doesn't matter. God, you're speaking to us today. We're heading into a season of generosity. And if we can be generous people, we will reap the generosity of God. Well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. One last thing. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've listened to this message Maybe you're not in relationship with God. Maybe you've never been. Or maybe you've just been on the run from God for whatever reason. I want to tell you something. God loves you. He's not looking to beat you up. He's not looking to hold the past over your head. He's looking to free you from the past and liberate you so you can move forward. He wants to bring you into relationship with him where you're not afraid of him and you don't run from him, but you run to him. He wants to be your father in this life. And for eternity, he wants to give you eternal life. But he needs you to cooperate and say, God, I'm in. He's given you a will. You choose to follow him or you choose to reject him. Maybe today something's tugging at your heart and you're realizing this is true. This is right. Friend, God is concerned about every area of your life. But maybe today you're realizing I need to open my heart to God. I want to pray a prayer right now give you a chance to wrap your heart around this i'm going to ask everybody in the building pray this prayer with me say god i need you and i open my heart to you please come into my life i accept jesus as my savior i choose jesus to become the lord of my life forgive me of all my sin let me become your child i want to know you I want to learn your ways, and I want to walk with you. So I give my life back to you. Come be my Lord. And from this moment forward, I'll be your child. And you can be my father. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Amen. Hey, can we just welcome people into God's family today? I believe in this house.